Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. I'm in 1 John 5 this morning. 1 John chapter 5. We're looking at verses 5 to 12, a little bit of a different type of a message this morning. As always, I encourage you to have a Bible out and available, ready to go. Uh, notes, maybe, piece of paper, pen. Give, uh, give. This is not the Dustin Moore show, for sure. It's a time to dig into God's Word together. On most Mondays and Thursdays, for the last year and a half, I have recorded videos for our church. In every video that we have recorded, there is an editing process. Typically, this happens when, number one, there's a couple different parts to every recorded service. So there's an editing that brings things together. But sometimes, there's editing because I make mistakes. That part of the video being edited or retaped is a normal part of the process. I'm sure that if our media team wanted to do incredible harm to my view of myself, they have ample footage to embarrass me with all of my mistakes that have been made over the last year and a half. Thankfully, those mistakes are edited out. If there were one part of Christianity that we would edit out, humanly speaking, so bear with me, humanly speaking, it would probably no doubt be the crucifixion of Jesus. Why is that? Because number one, we see the cross as gruesome or barbaric. The unnatural position used in crucifixion made every moment painful, every movement painful. The lacerated veins and crushed tendons throbbed with incessant anguish. The wounds, inflamed by exposure, gradually gangrene. The arteries, especially at the head and the stomach, became swollen and oppressed with surcharged blood. While each variety of misery went on gradually increasing, there was added to them the intolerable pain of a burning and raging thirst. And all these physical complications caused an internal excitement and anxiety which made the prospect of death itself. Of death, the unknown enemy at which, at whose approach man usually shudders most, bear the aspect of a, an exquisite release. The cross is often seen as barbaric, gruesome. And so we might be prone to want to edit it out. Secondly, we would often think that the cross, we'd see the cross as being counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. The crucifixion is the death of the one that we call God in the flesh. So we would think that this is counterintuitive. We're killing the one we need. Yet this is precisely what John is making sure is not removed from the Christian message. 
In 1 John 5, in verse 6, we find these words. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. In 1 John 5, the word water that is used is in reference to the water baptism of Jesus. Now we'll come to that more in a moment. The word blood is a reference to the death of Christ. The crucifixion, whereby Jesus shed his blood for the atonement of sin. But why would John want to make sure that the crucifixion not only stays in the Christian message, but is central to the Christian message? Why? This is where context of the Bible matters so much. Because the heretics to which John is often speaking in 1 John... The Gnostic and the Docetist believed, now listen very closely, they believed that Jesus became God or received his divinity at the baptism. In earlier parts of 1 John, John was defending the incarnation. Now he is saying the Gnostics believed that Jesus at his baptism, when the Spirit came, that Jesus received his divinity, that he became God. He appeared as God. But his divinity went away, they claimed, before his death on the cross. So his divinity came on him at baptism, and his divinity left him, they claimed, before the cross. This is paramount to our understanding of what John is endeavoring to get across in this passage. And so what he's doing here in 1 John 5, verses 5 through 12 is he is reminding us of why the crucifixion must stay in the Christian message regardless of how offensive it might appear to some. So in doing so, he builds off of what we heard last week regarding the world being overcome. Do you remember that? In 1 John 5 verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Even our faith. The world is overcome by the cross of Christ, by the cross of Christ. Therefore, we need to see God's witness of the cross. We need the reality of the cross, even though we might be tempted in our day, and others might be tempted in our day, as we'll see in a moment, to edit out the crucifixion. What is before us today in 1 John 5 is... John providing three witnesses for the crucifixion and providing three witnesses for the one who overcomes the world by water and blood. So number one, I want you to see this morning, and again, a different type of a message, different way in which I'm going to handle the text this morning, so bear with me. Number one, the witness of water and blood. The witness of water and blood. Look back at the portion that I read a moment ago. Look at verse five. Who is he that overcometh the world? Remember verse four? Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now he says, who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even 
Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now when you read that, after what I explained about the Docetists, and they believe that divinity came on him at the baptism and left at the crucif- before the crucifixion, now you see why, Jesus, why John says, not by water only, but by water and blood. In verse 4, we overcame the world by our faith. Right? Last week, it was by our faith we overcame the world. But we know that it is not just faith. We explained that last week, but let me explain it again. Faith is only as good as the object of faith. Faith is only as strong as the object of faith. Having faith is insufficient. So what does John say? It is a specific faith. It is he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of God, is the object of our faith, and that's why that faith is overcoming faith. The Gnostics didn't believe that Jesus died and that he defeated the evil powers of the world. This is actually not, true, not new to the writings of John. The Spirit of God had witnessed who Jesus was at his baptism in John First, excuse me, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, I want you to see at verse 33, and I knew him not. John the Baptist is speaking here. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. The Spirit in the baptism of Jesus gave witness by the water and the Spirit. 1 John 1, the Spirit bears witness with the believer. Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins. The Spirit bears witness in you. And because of Him, we have access now to God the Father, John 14. The Spirit is truth because Jesus is the truth. John 14, Jesus saith unto Him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth, therefore His Spirit bears witness of the truth. But Jesus is who he says he is. So we see the witness of water and blood. And I don't, I'm not going to stay there long this morning. I could dig down deep into some, into some weeds that would probably lose you. But you need to understand water of blood to be the baptism of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus. And John says, John says, the Spirit bears witness in both of those. That they're true. Then we see the witness of heaven and earth. The witness of heaven and earth. Look at 1 John 5 verse 7. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth. The Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. The importance of these verses lies in what John is trying to get across. God has become flesh and has been attested to by both baptism and the crucifixion. And there is an agreement between heaven, between the the Father, the Son, And the Spirit, all three are in agreement that Jesus is who He claimed to be, both in His incarnation, in His life, in His baptism, in His death, in His resurrection. Heaven agrees and all of earth agrees. What agrees on earth? Spirit and the water and the blood. Now, you have to understand, no law, in the law, no charge could be preferred against an accused person in court. 
unless it could be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so John is saying, I'm giving you the witnesses. You want witnesses? I'm giving you witnesses. You want evidence? I'm giving you evidence. You want somebody to stand and verify? Well, all of heaven verifies that Jesus is the Son of God, and all of earth, the witnesses on earth of the Holy Spirit, on the baptism, the Holy Spirit at, the, at, the, at, at Christ's ascension and, the, and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit who indwells believers, who gives witness to Christ on the cross. This is your evidence, the witness of heaven and earth. The cross can't be edited out of the Christian message because the cross is the Son of God dying for the sins of man. The Word is not the Bible, by the way, in verse 7. It's the incarnate Word, Jesus. And then on earth, the Spirit, the water, baptism, and the blood of the cross, they all agree. Verse 7, these three are one. They're in agreement. They're in agreement on who Jesus is. Verse 8, they're in agreement. Spirit, water, and blood are in agreement on who Jesus is. Number three, I want you to see the third witness that John brings forth here, or the third picture of witness, is the witness for eternal life. The witness for eternal life. We cannot edit out the message of crucifixion because of the witness of water and blood. We can't edit out the message of the crucifixion and on the Son of God because the witness of heaven and earth. Thirdly, you can't edit out the message of the cross, regardless of how barbaric it seems, regardless of how counterintuitive it seems, because it's the witness for eternal life. Look at verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, which we do all the time, think about what John is saying here. You receive the witness of men every day. We receive the witness of men. The witness of God is greater. <laughs> Would you agree to that? Yes. You believe things you see and hear all the time. John says, you believe the witness of men. Now think about, what, think, think about this for a moment. If you believe the witness of the docetists and the Gnostics and the legalists, and you take the witness of your neighbor and your brother and your friend, if you believe their witness, let me just tell you something. You believe the witness of the liberal theologian who tells you that we don't need the cross. If you're going to believe that witness, the witness of God is greater. The logic of that is flawless. For this is the witness of God that is greater. You ready? Which he had testified of his son. This is it. We got the witness. This is the summarizing point here. And that this is God's record. God has testified to who the son is. And God has provided eternal life through the son. I wish I, could, I had time today. I wish I had time to take you to, to John 5. And I wish I could take you to verses 33 to 45. If you have a, a printout that we put on the website. John 5, 33 to, 40, to 47 is John, is Jesus speaking to the Jewish leaders and explaining to them, I've got a witness to who I am. My works give witness. My works give witness. You, you, you listen to everybody else. You, you take the witness of Moses, but I'm here and I'm greater than Moses. God has authenticated the crucified Jesus as his son, through whom there is eternal life. He goes on. Verse 9, he says, For this, this is the witness of God which he had testified of his son. Look at verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his son. And this is the record. 
that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. John is pretty direct here, isn't he? I think we've realized that all through 1 John. The directness of John is actually deeply refreshing for us. Because John says, to disbelieve the witness of God, who is greater than the witness of men, is greater than the other arguments that you've seen put out about the crucifixion and whether or not Jesus is the Son of God or not. He's greater than that witness. And to not believe his witness is to literally look at God and say, you're a liar. You're a liar. Because God is witness to Christ. He has promised eternal life in Christ. He has told us that all, all life that we might find in, uh, all life uh, uh, that is eternal is found in Christ. God is witness to this in heaven and in earth, in water and in blood, in the Spirit and the Father's witness. We've got ample evidence, friends. To not believe God is very simply to turn away from eternal life. It's to call him a liar. Because to believe on Christ, on Christ, the Son of God, to believe on Him as looking at the cross who came by water and blood, to look on Christ in His death and His resurrection is to give us true eternal life. To believe it not is not to have this life. It's pretty clear, isn't it? All of this is made possible by the cross. And in spite of what John says here, listen very carefully. Let me think out loud with you if I may. In spite of what John says, there are reasons why removing the cross and the crucifixion might seem tempting. Think with me. For the Jew, the crucifixion doesn't line up with the kind of Messiah they anticipated. It doesn't. In Luke 24, verse 21, we get a picture of that. After the crucifixion, we see these words. But we trusted that it had been He which should have redeemed Israel. We trusted that He would be the one to redeem Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Their hope was dashed. By implication, these disciples saw the crucifixion as contrary to God's plan of redemption. Honestly, this is not too far removed from today. Think with me again. What does the crucifixion do to the Jewish expectation? Listen, it turns upside down any idea that we have about any ethnic or racial superiority. Whatever our expectation may be, it is upended by the cross. We may think that we're more civilized. Yet Jesus Christ was perfect and he was crucified. We might think that we have a better pedigree. But Jesus was in the lineage of David and he was crucified. We might think that we have better blood running through our veins. We might think that we have a greater history. We might think that we have a greater nation around us. But at the cross, the one who had the better everything was crucified. You see how this works? The cross upends our thinking. 
for the Gentile, the crucifixion of a deity doesn't align with the general standard for deities. It was foolishness, right? So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, but we preach Christ crucified under the Jews a stumbling block. Why is a stumbling block? Because it's not what they anticipated. And unto the Greeks, foolishness. This is foolish for a deity. A deity wouldn't die. A deity that dies is not strong and powerful. Right? No deity would ever be this weak. What does the cross do to our idea of strength and power? I think this is maybe good for us all to listen very carefully because we're in a culture that's consumed with a conversation about power. The cross turns our view of power and strength upon its head. Within postmodern mindset, language is power. So a culture that controls the language controls the culture. You can, you can't say this. You can, can't do this. You do it, cancel. This is powerful. The cross speaks to us about culture and about, excuse me, about power and strength and tells us that the greatest in the kingdom will be the least. Will be the least. Even as the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. The cross turns our view of power on its head. That those in Christ's kingdom will be the least. They will see power as unimportant. Within the political realm, capitalism, individualism is power. Wealth. Being me. This is my power. You work hard. Earn a living. Support yourself. You have a say-so. Cross, though, confirms that strength actually comes through weakness. Hear me. Your culture is telling you everything else. The idol of power needs to be crucified by the body of Christ. Your culture tells you that individualism and in your own work and in your life and you do you, that you have a say-so when you are attaining your own power. Strength comes through weakness from the cross. Life comes through death. Healing actually comes through hurting. It's counter to our culture. So we saw the Jews and the Gentiles. And for the Gnostic and Docetists of this time, it was inconceivable that God would take on an evil, material body, let alone die. Inconceivable. Listen, the opposing teachers in John's day, that to whom John contradicts by his book, his letter here, had denied aspects of who Jesus was. They had denied aspects about who Jesus was. The, the teaching of some of these false teachers included the teaching that Jesus was a mere human upon whom the Christ descended and then at baptism, as I mentioned and will keep mentioning, and then the Christ left, the Spirit left before His death. But in that picture, stay with me, we have to think, what does the cross do to our idea that God can make sense to us? That he can be a conceivable God? Well, the cross turns this on its head as well. We have been trying since the garden. We have been trying since the Tower of Babel to create our own image of who God is. By the way, if you think it only happened then, and I know this is a little dated now, but think how crazy the story I'm about to tell you. In 1994, there was an apparent conference sponsored by the World Council of Churches and underwritten in large part 
by a denomination called the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Churches of the United States of America. Stay with me. 2,200 people from 49 states and 27 countries went to the Minneapolis Convention Center. And their whole goal was to re-image God. To re-image God. The conference actually called for a second reformation of all things that would begin radical theological surgery on the church's belief systems to re-image God. Essentially, the conference developed a new anchor for truth. The foundation for Christian theology would no longer be the historic events of salvation recorded in the Bible, but the star of the show would now be Sophia, who is Sophia, who is wisdom, a long-suppressed feature, they claimed, of the biblical tradition, which resides principally within the female psyche. So to those that were re-imaging, Sophia never took on a historic form, but she appeared in many ways and in many spiritual traditions, such as the South Dakota Indian tribal dances and the Zulu rituals. They were equal contributors, if you will, to the theological reflection for Sophia. The conference program was explicit. Sophia is the place in us. Listen, Sophia is the place in us where the entire universe resides. For a multicultural, therapeutic society like ours, this is religion made to order. Self-discovery became the platform for divine revelation. Just discover yourself and you'll find God. It's most important to note that in this setting, historic Christology was totally dismantled. The target of the the, the conferees was the cross. They were aiming at the cross. Christian soteriology promoted violence, they claimed. The cross was violence. A father killing his son. It's a formula for child abuse, they claimed. By the way, you don't have to go far to find liberal theologians in 2021 that agree with this exactly. One speaker, Dolores Williams, didn't disguise her convictions at all. She said, I don't think we need a theory of atonement at all. I don't think we need folks hanging on crosses and blood dripping and weird stuff. We just need to listen to the God within us. That's the answer. That's how we re-image God. Listen to the God within you. The problem is the cross absolutely grips our attention. If there were ever anyone worthy of self-discovery, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not, I don't mean this unkindly. It is not you. The one that is worthy of self-discovery is Jesus. It is the Jesus, the one who hung on the cross, yet lived for the will of another. Jesus who confessed the true God and declare all lesser gods false through His resurrection. So why make sure that the cross is central to the Christian message? Why did Jesus come by water and, 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 and blood? Why? Because the crucifixion of Jesus brings hope. It brings hope because it confirms His humanity. Jesus died. It confirms His deity. He fulfilled 
all of the Old Testament expectations. He brings in his death, in his, cruci- in his resurrection. He brings eternal life as John noted here. Jesus was raised. He was accepted by the Father. And he is eternally sufficient. So to edit out the crucifixion of Christ is to edit out, hear me, any kind of a hope for eternal life. Any hope for eternal life. Crucifixion and resurrection in a study about assurance, the crucifixion, as much as you might cringe at it at times, and as much as liberal theologians might try to edit it out of Christian teaching, the cross of Jesus Christ gives us assurance of eternal life. And that's why it matters. That's why it matters. So what do we do? What do we do at the cross? In closing, one, we must receive the cross by faith as the witness of God. We must receive it by faith as the witness of God. This is the faith that overcomes because it's faith in the one who on the cross overcame all the powers of darkness. Number two, we must have memorable creeds to guard against the denial of the cross. You say, what about scripture? That's what I mean, creeds, scripture. We must have, we must have these things embedded in our life embedded in our life, ingrained in our minds, in our hearts. We must be people of the Word, as we've talked about over and over. We must memorize Scripture. We must lean by faith on Scripture. And we must have that as a denial of the cross. So when somebody says to you, well, I don't think the cross is necessary, you should be able to give to them why it's necessary. When they tell you to listen to the God within, remind them of the God who hung and died and buried and was risen again and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the God that saves. He died to free you from the idolatry of listening to any God inside of you. Number three, we must recognize what we are saying about God when we deny the cross. You already saw that. He's a liar. That's what you're saying. The witness of God that is greater, he's a liar. Can I just back you up on the implication of that? If God who is greater is a liar, what does that say about man who tries to give witness? You see, this is, John gives you full proof, logic, as to why the cross is necessary. God is a liar. I like how Spurgeon said this. Stay with me here. Lengthy quote, and we're about done. Believing doesn't come by trying, Spurgeon said. If a person were to make a statement of something that happened this day, I should not tell him that I would try to believe him. If I believed in the truthfulness of the man who told the incident to me and said that he saw it, I should accept the statement at once. If I did not think him a true man, I should, of course, disbelieve him. But there would be no trying in the matter. Now, when God declares that there is salvation in Christ Jesus... I must either believe him at once or make him a liar. There is no middle ground. Is God credible to you? Is God credible to you? If you say God is not credible, then you must lean on your own understanding of what is credible. You must. Number four. We must consider our lives, our emotions, our decisions through the cross ethic. If the cross is central to our lives, then 
everything must intersect through the cross. I grew up in northwest Indiana. Anybody, you know how this goes, right? I used to tell people I'm from Chicago. You're not allowed to say you're from Chicago if you don't live in Chicago. Amen? I grew up in Chicago land, the region, as it's often called. When I was growing up, there's two little highways over by where I live, Route 30 and Route 41. And they, they cross in a little town that I grew up in called Cherville over in northwest Indiana. And I used to think, man, we live in the center of the country because it was called the crossroads of the nation. Everybody, they said, went down Route 30 or Route 41, realized nobody drove down Route 30 or 41. Route 41, if you know, becomes Lakeshore Drive eventually. Everything I thought growing up came to that stoplight right there. It was the crossing of the entire country. Truthfully, the cross of Jesus Christ should be the crossroads of our entire life. Your emotions, your decisions. So what does this mean practically if it's the crossroads of our lives? Well, let me give it to you practically from, from Paul. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit as the church submits to Christ's leadership. Parents, provoke not your children, but raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children, to live at the cross at the center of your life means to obey as Christ was obedient to his Father. To obey your parents. And parents, when we do not demand obedience from our children, we fail to put the cross at the center of their life. It's a cross ethic. Christians, love and serve. Love and serve. Love God, serve Him. Love your brother and sister and serve them as you were served in the cross of Christ. In the end, the cross must stay. It must stay. It must not be edited out because it is through the cross that you and I obtain eternal life. And when our hearts maintain a perspective of the cross, we are given assurance, a joyful assurance, that Jesus is the Son of God. And that we have absolutely received eternal life in Him by faith. And this faith in Christ assures our hearts. The message of the crucifixion is just that. It is eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, you can never say honestly that you have no faith. Your faith resides in something or someone. To refuse the cross is to believe in some other deity. Some other deity. It's to ask something else to save, to give meaning, and to give you hope. It's to believe the witness of another, whether that's you or someone else. But to receive eternal life, God says, comes by faith. In Jesus. In Jesus. If you're here this morning and you have faith in Christ, you have faith in the one who died and overcame the world, who was buried, evidencing that he was human, rose again, showing that he was God. And all others must bow to him. All must bow to him. This is why we can't edit out the cross. Aren't you thankful that He came by water and by blood? Aren't you thankful for the witness of the Spirit? Let's believe, let's believe God today.
Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.